welcome to The Digital Patient, where we discuss the latest advancements in digital patient engagement and share stories from the front lines. I'm your host, Alan Sardana, and with me as always is Seamus MD CEO, Dr. Joshua Liu. Today, we're joined by our very special guest, Donna Roach. Donna Roach serves as the Chief Information Officer for the University of Utah Hospitals and Clinics. Previous to this, she was the Vice President for Information Services at BJC Healthcare and Washington University Medical School. With more than 35 years of experience in the healthcare industry, Roach has focused on healthcare information technology for the past 30 years. Donna Roach is a certified healthcare chief information officer, a lifetime fellow within the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, or CHIMES, as well as HIMSS, and served on the board for CHIMES. Previously, she was the president of the Michigan chapter of HIMSS and the chair for the Michigan Hospital Association Technology Board. Donna, Ms. Roach, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me and thanks for inviting me to a great, great event. Well, it's absolutely amazing to have you on. You are a seasoned professional in the industry. You're very well known and you've led one of the most fascinating careers in healthcare that spans several health systems as well as consulting work. You've honestly garnered such a wealth of domain experience in health IT. And I believe from some of my research, you got into healthcare through administration, and then you were introduced to technology pretty early on through your father. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious, what drew you into healthcare in the first place? So just as a way of background, I have a bachelor's and a master's in health administration, one from University of Illinois, one from Rush. I would say the heaviest influence in getting into healthcare was probably other family members. I had an uncle who was the head of mental health for the state of Illinois. My aunt was a nurse. I had a number of other people who were in the health profession and they kind of, you know, spurred me on into saying, you know, healthcare is a really great profession. And they also showed me how much it gives back to the community and really serves people at all levels. I mean, that's kind of the neat thing about it. It's, it's not just for a certain part of society. It's for everybody. So, so Donna, I hope it's okay. I'm going to go off schedule right away because something you said <laughs> caught in my ears. Um, you know, the last few years have been really tough for healthcare professionals and we're seeing, you know, probably more folks leave healthcare than we've seen in the past. And uh, I've been thinking a lot lately that retention and recruitment is so important right now. I'm curious, like maybe how yourself or, or you of Utah is thinking about like, how do we actually make healthcare a better place to bring people back, bring people into healthcare in, in the toughest time? Right. And I think, you know, and this is one of the things I'm really proud about with Utah and other healthcare organizations. It's the focus on the mental health how well are you, you know, serving the mental health population, but just people in general. And so it's, some of it's just taking the time to listen to people and really not being a leader driven to getting things done and projects done. Yeah, that's great. I can check off the box, but it's about how you develop people, how you lead people how you take time just to really understand what's going on in their life and develop relationships. It's like, I've, I've learned a little bit, stop sending emails at night, stop doing things on the weekend. Like I, I control my own life. And, and so if I need to work, I will do that, but stop inundating your staff. Because what I realized is when I was a staff member, sometimes getting that email on the weekend, you're like, Oh, I, I've got to respond. And, 
So all the things that maybe you had scheduled with your family, you put on hold. It's like, no, and that person never intended you to do that. So it's like, you know, in my role here, I'm very careful. We've gone through rounds and rounds of COVID and now RSV and now, you know, a certain thing around the flu. And it's like, when people are sick, I, I just leave them alone, let them get better. And then, you know, and I think people appreciate that. Those are some of the little things that you can do to really help people understand we're a team here. And I think we in healthcare understand it better than anybody else that what people go through when they're sick. And so we also have to put that same lens on everybody that we work with and to understand they go through rough times. And, and you kind of have to be that people leader, right? Not the technology leader. Yeah. So. And it's such a fantastic insight and you really want your team to be at the top yeah. of their game. And so yeah. really listening to them and understanding who they are as people, you can help motivate them in different ways. And I really love that. Speaking of kind of this holistic view of people as consumers who might become patients, there was a quote that you said on the health system CIO podcast that I just love. You said, you're a consumer always and a patient sometimes. And I right. think that's fantastic. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts. You know, how are you viewing consumerism in healthcare and how does that impact the strategy around digital health that you have? Yeah. So that's not an original quote, right? Somebody else had that. And it's like, but it, for me, it resonates and in academic medicine, it's really hard. They don't like the term consumer, right? Physicians specifically, they, you know, they deal with patients, not consumers. And so it's a hard label for people to understand, but what I think it does is, and so we break it down for people. We, when we did our digital roadmap, we created an experience uh, swim lane. Part of that experience swim lane is about the total experience. So, you know, and that's the consumer. The consumer is the total person. And so we look at not just the patient experience, but the employee experience, the physician experience, the clinician experience. And what I, kind of our mantra has been, is really starting to be the vision of our digital strategy is if you do something and focus just on one level of the experience, right? If I do something just for the patient and I put at risk my physician experience or my employee experience, I may achieve something very short-term, but it is it will have no longevity because eventually it starts to break down. So I, I think it's that emphasis on total experience that we have to go for and really keep that in mind, how we design things and how we look at improvements to things. It can't be on the back of one or the other. It really has to be holistic. On the topic of consumerism, I saw you speak on at Chime a couple of months ago, and I think, and probably if I'm, if I'm misspeaking here, but I think he said something like when people hear the term consumer in healthcare, they say, oh my gosh, that sounds like Costco. And I think yeah. he said, people love Costco, so maybe that's not a bad thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Could you talk that a bit more? Yeah, so one of the things we did, so when I first got here, we really didn't have a true digital strategy. So it was like, okay, quick, pull together digital strategy. The timing was right. And so we, we did a lot of that. And so my... Kind of my focus was, well, let's create like product teams, not individual teams, but product teams that are all inclusive of what we're trying to achieve. And that that's a real shift for people. 
And when I started talking about products, people were like, well, we don't have products. What are you talking about products? Sounds like Costco. And and what was so funny was it's like, you know, it kind of woke me up a little bit. It's like, okay, watch out. Words mean something here. But then a few other people were like, well, wait a minute. Costco's, we like Costco. So what's wrong with Costco? And so, you know, it's keeping kind of, you know, one, it's a listening ear. Like, okay, people get, will turn off if you use the wrong words. But then you have to start to explain why you're going this route and creating these product teams. So we started out, we shifted from, well, let's call them multidisciplinary teams, right? Team of teams, Every, you know, in academics, people like that terminology. So we kind of shifted into that. And then it's like, all of a sudden, as we're building up the different parts of our roadmap, they're like, oh, oh, this is what you mean by a product. And it's like, yeah, we're exercising more agile, kind of, we're almost more agile, right? Waterfall agile, but we're trying to exercise agile, quick kind of turnarounds. You know, how can we quickly put an element of a product in front of you so that you, the user, you, the patient can say, yeah, that's working, that's not, and and iterate very quick. Because now, I mean, we're really past the time of, if I go to put in a, a major system, by the t- if it takes me 18 months, look at how much has changed. Look at what occurred with COVID. And we still do that, but those iterations and those changes occur so fast and it impacts the project that you really don't have true buy-in to what you started with. And so really doing that product philosophy and putting in more agile into our way of getting systems. And it's not just about DevOps. It's it's about how do we make process changes and even changes within our workforce to really improve on real quick turnaround times. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in the questions, Donna. Yeah. You brought up a fantastic point around maintaining this flexible nature within your right. planning and strategy. So I'm curious, what are one or two actionable strategies that you're using to really maintain that level of flexibility? Well, you know, some of it is having kind of a curiosity based in what you do, right? It's asking sometimes the why behind things and sometimes several whys. You know, you're almost like a five-year-old or a toddler. Why, why, why? Now you got to be careful. It gets a little frustrating, but being curious about what somebody's bringing to you and how you start to design or start to look at the reasoning behind it really starts to, it does a couple things. It, it helps you innovate. It helps you engage people who normally wouldn't be engaged. And it also creates this philosophical, you're, you're listening to me. So it, 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 it makes them feel like they're part of the team. And so Curiosity is really important. And I, it's like my one of my own personal values. Like I'm a curious person. I've always have been. I, I want to know how things work and how things you know get done. The other philosophy, and again, it's understand the culture you're in. Our culture here, we're a learning organization. And it it is part of our values. It is right in our mission in terms of what we do. So what it, you know, what does that mean? It's you got to back things up by it's not just well opinion based it's what's the facts what's the data behind it how can you keep improving upon a process 
So we do a lot of things. One thing we did, even in my digital, we call it a DEC, a digital engagement committee, enablement committee. We started out with a, a book and shared it with them about, well, you know, here's some things that we could really start to think about. And then we got the author in to talk to us about some of it. And it was really a great opportunity. And and again, it's like listening to the culture and that philosophically, when you base it in, well, what's in the journals, what's been published, you're starting to create a better foundation of what a learning organization is about. Speaking of the digital enablement committee, it sounds like a really great governance approach for digital health across the system. And I remember you had some mantras around that. I remember like number one, keeping it small, number two, representation across professions, and number three, focusing on strategies, but not tactics in right. the committee meetings. Can you unpack maybe the origins of what's the value of a deck and some of these frameworks that you've employed? Yeah. So it, to me, it was really important where the hospitals and clinics were kind of embedded in the university under health sciences. So my boss's boss is actually the dean of the medical school and the senior vice president for health sciences. So we're we're incorporated into that, right? But, and if I had just taken the lens of hospitals and clinics, I don't think I would have been as successful out of the gate. So we expanded kind of our scope and we said, we're going to have some chairs, department chairs. So like internal medicine and churches on there and my innovation person. And then I have somebody from our med medical group that's on there and strategy, but still trying to keep it small. Like if I have a committee of 25 people, I'm going to have 25 leaders trying to direct. And that doesn't be, it's not, it's a balance game, right? You'll, you don't get much done. And so we have some very thoughtful discussions around, well, what's the strategy? Where are we going? When we established our roadmap, we looked at, you know, well, how are we going to go about establishing this roadmap? And one of the best things that happened, and sometimes like it, things just like land in your lap. Dr. Good, who's our Dean of the School of Medicine, he had a a what they call a 2025 strategy refresh document. And out of it are like, I think now seven pillars that we do directed steps every year from. And so we took out of the, I think it was 2021, we took those directed steps and we looked at them. We said, well, wait a minute, there's a lot of digital in these. Mm -hmm. But out of those directed steps, we, we got our major digital themes and there were about seven or eight of them. And then we went and we looked at all the themes and we looked at the directed steps that are coming from all different parts of the health sciences, operations, part of the clinics and stuff. And we identified about, at first, maybe 25 different directed steps that needed to be and inform our digital roadmap. And so we took those and we that was the first basis of we came up with five major swim lanes to our digital roadmap. And the value of that was one, here's this strategy document driving our digital enablement, which is really key. It's, I don't want to be out in front of the strategy. I want to be in alignment with the strategy. And then we had discussions with each of these directed step owners and said, listen, you own 
that directed step. We don't, the deck, IT, we don't own it. What we want to do is collaborate and partner with you, put whatever we need to on our roadmap, um, make sure we're supporting you correctly. And then if we see start to see conflicts, which sometimes that happens, like one directed SIP might have something and it's in direct conflict with another one. We'll bring that up. We'll escalate that. We will have conversations with people to make sure that we're all in alignment. And oddly enough, I'm the new kid, right? They were like, this is great. We've never had conversations like this. And I'm like, okay, are you just like kidding me? But they were really very grateful that we were having the conversation. We brought that back to our digital enablement committee. We said, listen, this is strategy. We want you to engage and understand the strategy. Do you believe that we've captured the right things? They're like, yep, thumbs up. We will bring back what we think needs to be on the roadmap. And we've done that. Now we've had our deck now for over two years. So we iterate that every time we've been through now three years of directed steps. We just finished our last one and it's will inform our digital roadmap for the third year. So it, it really has the basis in strategy and there's always times somebody will come and go, well, do you have the right resources? And can you it's like, whoa, whoa, stop that. That is, that's either my job or I have other governance groups that are going to take care of. If you tell us that's a strategy, then it's our job to figure out how to make it happen. And if we can't make it happen, we will bring it back to you. But I don't want you telling me or saying, looking at the resource piece of it. That's my job to negotiate that. I work with my CMIO on that. And we work through those things. We budget, we we timeline it out. We may create a product team to help drive that strategy. Right now, we're really focused on our access swim lane and creating an access product team. And what's so funny is there are a lot of different people own access in the organization. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I'd rather come to the table. Let's talk about it rather than, okay, let's find a solution and then realize we didn't listen to, you know, three quarters of the rest of the organization. And then that solution never works. So it's a very iterative approach, but it's also, okay, deck is strategy. I have other governance groups, like I have, we're an Epic shop. So I have kind of an Epic, you know, EHR committee. I have a data governance committee. I have a infrastructure committee. Those groups then kind of work off the strategy that is directed out of deck. I think it's so illuminating how we don't realize that a great digital strategy has to start with, to your point on dialogue and engagement yeah. with all these different professions and stakeholders. And I, I think what happens sometimes is the digital strategy gets almost siloed from other folks in the organization right. and then it hurts that connection and it hurts that trust. They don't think you really care about their perspectives, but it sounds like you invested a lot in, in the relationship component and communication and getting everyone on the same page so that you can move quickly right. against your right. goal. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's kind of funny in a way, COVID worked to my advantage, right? Yeah. We, we were so focused on how do we address COVID? So I had a lot of time to have conversations with people, yeah. a lot of time to do the relationship building and that's worked to my advantage. And, and people, I think people appreciate that because they know it's like, 
hey, I want to collaborate with you. I, I'm not out to be building an empire. This is all about collaboration across a very complex, you know, university and the health sciences area. Absolutely. It's so cool to me how efficient that system is and how collaborative that approach is, starting with the pillars and then to right. the directed steps and then figuring out, you know, where is this connective tissue that digital fits into all these different areas. I think right. it's so awesome. And I, I also believe that that really takes a certain culture to make that type of system work. And you've shared in the past on how different organizational cultures that you've been a part of, the culture always impacts the way that you're going about building the strategy or actually executing on the plan. I'm really curious, you know, what are one or two indicators of, in your mind, what makes a good culture or one that fosters innovation from what you've seen? Yeah, I, I kind of touched on this a little bit when you're curious that, and, you know, you also have to have a culture that allows curiosity. Because if you don't, if it's so structured and so um, rigid, curiosity doesn't always work. So it's kind of like, all right, you know, learning organizations, that's another key thing. I think when we started down this path of doing our, our digital strategy, we found, we realized that trying to incorporate agile into this was going to be really important, but the org and you know, you would think agile has been out there for quite a while. You would think, well, most organizations are doing it to some degree, right? Introducing it's been harder than I thought, but I think that's part of the organization's willing. And so it definitely is a cultural shift of, you know, well, we're, we're used to projects and we're used to putting them into the queue and getting them resourced and, and prioritized. And, and so kind of moving more to that agile framework is very different. And so it's like, we've had starts and stops. And so that's part, I would say one, you know, I went into it with, okay, this, we kind of have to approach it this way. I realized the organization was kind of having like growing pains. They're like, oh, you know, this, this doesn't feel right. That even my CMIO, he goes, Don, I just, I have to trust you, but it's just does feel so uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, let's work through it. So I, you know, I, I can't jam it through, mm -hmm. right? If I jammed it through, I may get, you know, some short-term wins, but it's not going to pay off in the long run. So it's working through some of those things there, the start stops of what we need to do. And I think, I think that's worked out in the long run. The other thing I keep telling people is, is listen, look at what we did through COVID. We actually, we, we were doing agile. You, you had quick, you needed something quickly. We didn't stop and say, well, who's your executive sponsor? And do you have the funding? And we're going to have to prioritize this. And, and where's the literature? I mean, we, we did it right. And we had quick wins and sometimes things failed and we fixed it fast. And we did things in very quick one week, two week turnaround times. And when you tell people, when you kind of put the mirror back and you go, look, look, that's what we did. That's agile. They're like, oh, that's what you mean. And it's like, yeah. So it's like not getting too caught up in the terminology, mm -hmm. but more like, let's demonstrate it. Let's show people. Sometimes you have to find key leaders in the organization who really believe in what you're doing and are willing to be the, 
kind of the cheerleader for you kind of go out there and go, yeah, yeah, this is, this is good stuff. And it, it's funny. I was, we had an innovation meeting last night from our innovation that we call it our pivot center and different people came in and talked and it was so, it was really interesting to hear their presentations because 90% of them couldn't have done it without IT, mm -hmm. right? And, but they acknowledged it. And I was like, that's cool. I don't need to be up there talking. I don't need to, I don't need the accolades. But if you acknowledge how important our collaboration has been and what we're working on together, that's to me, that's the win, right? And so those are some of the things like you have to, you know, in IT, we, we get so project oriented and you have to look at, you got to step back and look at, well, what are the big wins that you're, you're achieving? And it's, I just, you know, I felt really good about, they mentioned a couple of people on my teams and different things that we're doing and how we're collaborating. And I'm like, wow, that's, I couldn't have said it any better. And it, it just makes you feel proud mm -hmm. that you're, you are really part of a, a team that's leading forward. Yeah, I think what a lot of folks maybe have started to realize in the last few years is that digital and IT can be more of an enabler. I think maybe in the past, some yeah. folks viewed IT as like a bottleneck or something they had to deal with, but now it's more of an enabler and a partner. And that's awesome to hear. You kind of mentioned a bit earlier where during COVID, um, folks were able to had to move quickly. And so they learned that they could be agile. But I guess I'm wondering, have you seen that kind of nimbleness sustain itself or I always worry that do we need another crisis for folks to move quickly and realize they can move quickly or, or have you been able to sustain that nimbleness? What's working to, to sustain yeah. that? You know, yes and no, right? Because sometimes how we went through it was very stressful to some groups. So you kind of have to take your foot off the pedal for those groups that you really pushed and stressed to the point of, there, that's why you see some of the resignation and stuff. So that, that we learned from that. And I think that's kind of the overall, okay, you know, let's take into account people's mental health through this and be very inclusive of, of what everybody is thinking. But then on the other, other hand, we did a lot of great things during COVID and it's let's learn from them and, and people got a taste of it, right? They're like, well, in the past, it would take IT this long, or it would take, you know, quality this long to do this. And you guys did it so fast. You can do it again. It's like, yes, but there was risk at that. And so let's do a balance. Let's do a hybrid of it. And so work through it. And that, I think that's the point at which we're at. We put, we put a lot of projects, you know, kind of what I would call on hold. But in what in one reality, what it helped us look at is what really should we be working on and what should we be emphasizing and how best can we align the strategy with what we're working on? So we went through a whole process of any of the projects, anything new coming in had to have some form of an executive sponsor to it. And you would think, okay, no brainer, right? But when I first got here, the executives didn't know, you know, who was invoking their name for a project. They, they were like, oh, we don't know what's going on. So we, we redid our whole project input process and we put, we call it a new an NPP, new project proposal. 
we actually leveraged ServiceNow to do that. And now when it something comes in, those executives, before we do any form of evaluation, they have to buy off on philosophically, is this the right thing? And then they have different stage gates in which they kind of agree or disagree that this project is going forward. So it kind of like shifts a lot of the, tell us this is the right thing. Is it aligned with your strategy? Is it aligned with the bigger strategy? And really works through some of the kind of check marks of, yep, this is the right thing to do. In the past, what would happen is squeaky wheel. The loudest person would get in and they they get their project done. And but was it the right project to be working on? And so it we learned we learned a lot through this. And now I you know, really have executives who are bought into, oh, this is what's being asked. And they are a great kind of funnel keeper or they strain out the things that are, yeah, I don't, no, we're not doing this. We also kind of went through a process of portfolio rationalization because we didn't know what was all in our portfolio. So much could be owned in a departmental um, budget and it wasn't in ITS. And so it was like, okay, what is our portfolio first? And then you can look at rationalization. So we worked quite a bit on, you know, brand new system coming in. Well, we already have that functionality in, in Epic or in our PAC system. Let's use that, not this brand new system. And so sometimes that's a negotiation with our execs to say, you're right. Let's, we're not going to spend the money. We're going to use this. And it, you know, it's that 80, 20 rule, you know, so it'll give you 80% of the functionality. That's good enough. You know, what, what also strikes me is like the, those checks and balances you have in that kind of new project proposal. I, I wonder if one of the benefits is that if someone's willing to actually invest the time to go through all those checks and balances, it's probably a signal that, okay, this might actually be really important of a project or initiative. Whereas if you put up one barrier and someone goes, ah, eh, you know what, yeah. I'm actually not that interested. Maybe it wasn't that important in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. The, here's the other thing we learned is, so when I first got here, there would be projects on the list for three, four, five years. Right. And I'm like, that's way too old. No, no. I mean, something that's been on that long, is it really needed? It's been solved already. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And sometimes I think people thought, well, we're pacifying people. Um, because it's on the list, right? I'm like, but you're not really being honest with them. You're not being fair. And I think you have to, it's not that their idea is bad. We have to have a conversation with them and just say, listen, our project list is 12 months, 18 months out. That's about all we can do. And, and if your, if your idea or your project is so important, you know, submit it again, maybe, or look at, that's where sometimes those product teams become really important and that they can help be part of a product team so that now you are instrumental in building out what you really need in terms of functionality than buying something, the bright, shiny object that people sometimes want to sell. Totally. I, I think that's such a great trust builder as well with the IT team, because you're actually going to be achieving things. You're going to get those wins. And so execs can look at that and go, well, I actually know my idea has not been on there for three years. 
it's actually gone through and it's we've got a win yeah. from that. So that's really cool as well, just for the future longevity, like you were saying. Yeah. Donna, another thing that I feel like you have such a unique perspective on, you've had experience with practically every one of the leading EHRs out there, Meditech, Cerner, Allscripts, yeah. Epic. I'm curious if you know one, do you know them all? Yeah, they're, you know, fundamentally, they're all the same. <laughs> and and I have been in organizations where, because as a CIO, you're asked to manage all of them. I think the distinction starts to be in two, two areas. One is interoperability, right? And so how how well does that system work with another system? Or how well does it work internally in your organization? So if, if that system evolved by bolting on things that they bought, interoperability is really not there. And it can demonstrate it. You can see where it just breaks down. But something that's been developed all along in that same framework, in that same language, has better interoperability within itself. Now, here, here's the key is like, so how do you do interoperability with the two major systems? Mm -hmm. And that's what becomes really difficult. And, you know, I, we, we have this, we have a situation going on right now in Utah where we have a, a representative who's like, well, why can't we have this and easy button and push? And it's like, but those, the, the systems haven't evolved that way. And so that's why we depend heavily on the HIE and them being that funnel point of sharing data. But, you know, it's, it gets very, very complicated and it's hard to explain to people who aren't in the thick of it, how interoperability can really be a limiting factor in moving forward. And, you know, we believe strongly in, in the way we're governed and in capitalism and stuff to have these separate systems, but it limits then the data sharing. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a physician in the ED and I know that person was seen at another hospital, unless I've offered up some kind of capability to do that sharing and do it in an actionable way. Like I just can't dump a, you know, a CD, a CDA on, on that position and think, oh, they're just going to comb through it all. No, I mean, you need, you know, what, what are the big things, allergy and maybe last imaging and maybe last diagnosis that was done, you know, what kind of medications are they on? Those are the key things. And those get, kind of lost in our way of doing it in the various systems that we have. I'll tell you, it's gotten so much better from when I first started in healthcare. You know, it, we, we have made huge strides. My parents are both 90 years old and I helped them with their healthcare and they're, they, before they actually live with me. I have a home in St. Louis, so they live with us there. And then I have my home here, but they didn't want to go on my chart, right? So I'm like, oh, yes, you are. And so now my father, who's 90 years old, he lives by that thing. So, I mean, the other thing too is do not put people in categories of the, the elderly can pick up on it just as easily as my daughter, who's still in her early 20s, that, you know, People evolve and like he's learned it, but that I'll tell you, he, even he picks up on things. He's like, well, they didn't, 
bring up my meds. And I'm like, well, then tell him, dad, tell him you, you have your meds. It's in my chart. And he's like, I will. <laughs> and it's, but it's funny. It's, those are some of the things that are really key. And as we manage our own healthcare, how important it is in the sharing of stuff that comes across into that chart and really helps and, you know, helps the physician within, in, you know, partnership with the, the patient of trying to come up with the right action plan. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have some biases of what I like. Um, you know, I, I definitely like my, my charts and I'm very appreciative of it. There are other systems out there have great portals too. So, I mean, I'm not taking away from them, but yeah, there's, there, there's some great benefit out there that I think we all need to exercise and then be a voice to say the patient has such a, a strong voice in this and they can help in creating better interoperability just by voicing their concerns. A great point. There's my chart, but then there's also all these other patient-facing innovations that have come out in the really the past decade, but a right. lot in the past five years, three years chatbots, digital care journeys, remote patient monitoring. I'm really curious to get your perspective. I know you're you're looking at it more from the the pillars and you know you're focused on access right now, but in terms of patient facing innovations, like what are you most excited about today? So a cup a couple things and 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 here's the one thing I will caution everybody is and it goes back to what I said I think in the when we first started talking. You can build out a lot of different apps. You can build out a lot of different facing patient-facing apps. But if you haven't created the right experience, if you haven't, you know, if as the patient is on their digital journey, if you haven't made the connection points to them, be very careful not to introduce something that breaks that journey or, or hurts that experience, right? Because that... And I think that's, we're very thoughtful about that as we look at things. It's what's the full experience, the total experience, not just, oh, we've introduced this quick app or, the, or we put this out there, but then it doesn't do anything for the, the patient and the physician relationship or anything along the continuum. But I, I will say one of the things that I'm really excited about when it comes to kind of innovation is some of the computer vision solutions that we're seeing out in the industry and how it's backed up by an AI, kind of a learning engine. So as I help improve, whether it be clinical workflow or even business workflow, and I put information and I put data points into that AI to improve the engine, that to me is really exciting because it's if the engine and the system starts to learn more clinical workflows, disruptive workflows, and how do you improve upon them? Yeah. So we're going down a pathway of one in the nursing area and partnering with nursing in terms of could, can we do some more remote nursing care? And our CNO is really excited about some of that and what can happen because it helps with the nursing shortage. But it's also simple things like how best are we tra tracking hand washing as people come and go out of the patient mm -hmm. room? Can we track patient falls a little bit better and how we could be proactive about the fall? And that's that 
inpatient. So we're also looking at in the surgical area, I'm working with our, one of our anesthesiologists and he's like, I want to be able to apply it to, you know, how best it can help learn when I've got the patient on the table and, Mm -hmm. and what signs to look for or, or how best I can intervene in different parts of the applying the, his algorithms. And I'm like, so this, that's where it gets really exciting. And when you see different physicians becoming engaged, like we have a, a rehab hospital, the Craig H. Nielsen Rehab Hospital, and we've already set up smart rooms. So a, a patient who comes in, a paraplegic, you know, and basically some people only have access to kind of the sip and puff controls. They can control the room, wow. whether they can control the TV, they can call the nurse, they can even call the elevator. And so some of the the computer vision technology can help us improve even further in terms of what is possible. So we're going to test some of that out there. And it's exciting. Part of that, the rehab hospital actually has a Tetris um, ski capability. So we, we can actually take patients who are on ventilators out skiing. Wow. Wow. Got videos and stuff that show that, but that's that's some of the innovation that just like it's thrilling to see that because then there's a patient who, you know, whether from an injury or some kind of illness, thought okay, kind of my life's over to giving them more hope of saying, hey, you know, we can make this happen for you. We can get you out in a a kayak and go down the river. We can get you down on a set of skis that are adapted for you and, and help you ski. So those are the cool things that it really connects to that patient and to that population. That's awesome. And Donna, I, I'm excited to see you know, your teams and other teams build that sort of future, because I think those inspiring stories of how innovation can improve the patient experience is it's why people got into healthcare in the first place. Yeah. I'm hoping that the more stories that we can produce with that kind of exciting, you know, outcome for patients, it's yeah. going to get more folks excited again back into healthcare, which is better for the patients and, and for the system. So that's that's awesome. Really excited yeah. to hear that. Yeah, I go on rounds with our hospitals. My CMIO is actually a practicing hospitalist, so I go on rounds with him. I'll tell you, I I learn so much by just following him and seeing his pain points. There's another, one of our other hospitals, she's taken me out. She actually does our hospice kind of unit, but you like, it's like, get out of your office. Yeah. Look at what's going on on those floors, how people are actually using those devices. You I mean those little improvements, like we, we found one little thing that we needed to do. And I was like, and the feedback that we got after we said, okay, yeah, we're replacing that. We've got a new system for that. They're like, you listened. <laughs> they were like, well, yeah, that's what we should be doing. But it is, it's, it's amazing. And it, the partnership, that's, that's the fun part of the job. It's like seeing how you can really help and learn and, and be there for the, the clinician and the patient. Hey, hey, Donna, do you ever do something like, you know, that TV show, I think it's called like secret bosses where you, you go into like, you, you're on the floors in the hospital and you, you don't let people know you're the CIO. You pretend that you're someone else. And then you, you ask, you know, you ask people to like show you the, their experience working with the, the IT systems and 
maybe you get more raw feedback about like what's great, what's not. Have you ever done that before? Well, not not exactly like that, but sometimes in the rounding, you know, they don't know who I am. They can look at my badge, but they're like, you know, CIO, what the heck is a CIO? They don't know. So they're very like, you hear it all. And sometimes like, he'll be like, you know, we called IT and they still haven't come and fix this. And this is just me standing there. And I'm like, okay. And I can text that in. And, and you know, it's like, you don't, I don't want people to think just because I'm there that one, not to share and two, I don't want to be covert about it, but I learned so much and people, people will open up. And, and what I really enjoy about Utah and, and the folks here is they're very thoughtful. They're not like, they don't go on the attack. They're very thoughtful about the feedback and even when they don't know who I am. And, you know, the majority of people don't, they're like, oh, all right. You just go out there and you, you find out a lot. Sure. You hear a lot. I love that advice. It's, it's very, very good advice to get out there and get the feedback firsthand yeah. like that. Yeah. Even from the patients, like I had this whole conversation with this one gentleman and he, he was just, he was such a sweetheart and we put a big, you know, board up and the nurse or technician may write like his interests. And, and I asked him, I said, are you, do you have my chart? He goes, yeah, but I have a hard time figuring it out. And I said, well, do you have a family member that helps you? Cause we'll help you. And he's like, well, that's, that would be helpful. And I'm like, so what kind of fishing do you like to do? I'm like, mm. you, know, cause I, I, it, you know, I love to fish. And he's like, oh, well, salmon. And I said, well, we got to get you back out there fishing. So we've got to get you well. And, you know, Dr. Strong, who's my CMIO, he's like, yeah, we'll get you healed so we can, you know, get you back out there. So it's like having that engagement with people mm -hmm. and they're like, wow, people really care about getting you well. And and giving you the tools, right? Because that's outside of the hospital. We want people to stay well. And if something like my chart or some access to services that we know we can give them, we want to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. That's great. It's fantastic to hear that that's what your team is doing. And it's really listening to the patient, giving them what they really, truly want at the end of the right. day. So I want to get back out fishing. I don't... You know, yes, I'm getting my hip replaced, but right. I want to get out fishing. That's yeah. that's what they want. Yeah. I love that. Donna, being mindful of your time, let's flip sure. over to what we call the fast five lightning sure. round. So it's just okay. five questions to get to know you better. First question we have, what is your favorite book or book you've gifted the most? So I'll tell you, so uh, two-parters. Uh, I just recently finished Rookie Smarts mm. by Liz Wiseman. So she wrote Multipliers. And a friend of mine said, you need to read Rookie Smarts. I have gifted that to, uh, to a number of people. A fascinating book. And it's like, oh, this is so spot on. But I'll tell you my favorite book of all time, Frankenstein <laughs> by Mary Shelley. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't seen the, the TV, or I think it's on Netflix Wednesday, mm -hmm. oh. it kind of goes yeah. hand in hand. But yeah. That's great. Question two, who is a person either dead or alive you'd love to meet? Abraham Lincoln. Excellent. Yeah. Question three, would you rather have super strength, super speed, or the ability to read people's minds? Super strength. Okay. I, 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 and in many ways, it's like, I want to be physically strong. Like I do a lot of activities, so okay. I build up my strength, but it's also like, 
Now you think about like I I'm a very people centered person. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that I think comes off as being weak (laughs) in some people's minds. And it's like, no, I think it's it's an indication of strength Uh because I want to learn more about you and stuff. So definitely super strength. I love that. I could see like if you're extremely emotionally strong or mentally strong, you might actually be quite soft, but it takes a certain strength to do that. That's amazing. Yeah. Question four, what is something in healthcare you believe that others might find insane? Okay, so th- there's a long list of things because I know like a lot of my friends are like, what are you, why do you do? So I I don't think people understand the insanity of health insurance. So mm-hmm. that, I, and I will leave it at that. Right. Also, I think they also, I think we learned this, the lack of consistency across states, mm-hmm. right? But on a positive note, I think people who are in healthcare understand this who are not, we share a lot. Like we may be competitors, but we don't compete on, on a certain level. And I think people coming from outside of healthcare always are a little shocked. Like you would share that. And I'm like, yeah, I want, I want everybody to, I I want to rise the water level up. So everybody's doing well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Last question that we have, if you could travel back in time to any event or moment, what would it be and why? I had to really think about this one because there's a lot of times, but I think, so I, I, I love France. I, I am a big Monet. We've been to Giverny once and I would love to have been invited to his home when he he would have, he would invite people over for breakfast and then you had to leave because when he would paint things, he wanted to get the very different shades of the painting. So like those, that's why you see the haystacks and the different shades. But But I, I wish I would have been back in the late 1800s, right. And been able to go to breakfast and see his gardens and then just go home. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) That is so awesome. Well, Donna, thank you so much for taking the time. You sprinkled a ton of wisdom throughout this conversation. I know that our audience is going to find it fascinating, as fascinating as I did. For folks listening, you can find Donna on Twitter at Donna Roach underscore CIO. And that's a wrap for this episode of The Digital Patient hosted by SeamlessMD. You can follow us on Twitter at SeamlessMD. And if you like the podcast and you want to learn more, visit www.seamless.md. Donna, again, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. This is fun. Mm-hmm.